Welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keelonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Sundanath Shandor Remiti is the founder of Shadow Yoga. He has spent over 60 years pursuing yoga and gaining experiential knowledge, which is extremely rare. Introduced by his father when he walked in on him practicing headstand. His father said, close the door, and that was the start of the journey. During the Second World War in Hungary, where he was brought up, his father fought in the Eastern Front. He was imprisoned in Siberia after the war, declaring Europe to be a war zone. His father moved the family to Australia. Having arrived in Australia, Shandor was given citizenship only later to learn that that involved being a conscientious objector and he was drafted to Vietnam as part of the Australian army. On return from fighting in Vietnam, he recommenced his studies of yoga and spent almost 20 years under the tutelage of BKS. Taking many trips to Pune, but latterly not wanting to be part of an institution, as well as feeling something was missing. He started seeking out other teachers and more advanced, subtle teachings of Kriya Yoga involving mudras and mantras. He is an initiate of a tantric lineage from Nepal. Shadi Yoga was developed when having found a book featuring ancient dancing figures carved on the stone temple wall of a temple in Tamil Nadu, he went and spent many hours, days and weeks documenting the movements of these figures. And this is the foundation of his teaching today. He lives in Sydney with his wife Emma and also, t- and also a teacher of Shadow Yoga. He is a charismatic and well-known figure in yoga across the world. So welcome Shandor to the Keen on Yoga podcast. Can you uh, just explain a little bit of your background with yoga? Thank you. Sure. Yeah. It's very simple. Um, I was introduced uh, to it unconsciously at an early stage, uh, yeah. like uh, six and seven. My father was uh, a practitioner, so I was born into a household where one person at least religiously practiced it on a daily basis, which he, he learned in Budapest between the two wars. And uh, he learned from Indian uh, teachers who were quite frequent in Budapest mm-hmm. before communism. And uh, so whatever he was passed on, he learned and he was practicing it. And uh, when I managed enough uh, courage to walk in on him in his room at the time of the practice, right. I saw him in this, uh, he was on his head, right? Yeah. So I went in and sat down, and then he just said to me, close the door. And then from that day onwards, I was in his room every day. And he never suggested do this or that. I just sat. Then I started to monkey him. Yeah. And then one day I got really frustrated because I couldn't figure out what it, how to enter it. And um, I said, help me. So then he helped me, and then from that day onwards, as I got older, he was leaving me. He was a very good drawer. And so he was drawing uh, different asanas and leaving it there with a little statement, right? And um, 
So, and it, he plays it that I found it. So yeah. I discovered it. He didn't give it to me. Yeah. So it wasn't imposed. It was kind of drawn in. Yeah, yeah. So that's how. And um, and of course, uh, you know, you grow up and then you other you do other things. What? How? When? How old were you when you started that? Around um, between six and seven. So it's a good initiation and so time. You, you know? yeah. And you continue the daily practice from that time. Yeah, because it made me feel good. Right. I felt really good from all the basic, you know, like uh, trikonasana and a couple of the standing positions, parshvakonasana, um, and some of those, and then pasarita yeah. padottanasana, um, and then some of the twists. You know, and you play, yeah? yeah. And then, uh, of course, you know, the challenging was the some of the splits, and then later on the seats. I really like the seats, so uh, then with the seats, and then that kind of stayed with me, and so. Even when I became a teenager and uh, I got interested in martial arts, I always maintained this practice on a daily basis, almost. Mm-hmm. On a daily basis. Because it's just uh, the body felt good. And I also noticed that when I went to martial arts, my body was more applicable. So was the mind than, let's say, the, some of the other children. Yeah. And um, that kind of kept it up. And that was in Serbia, right? Yeah, it was uh, ex-Yugoslavia, so this Yugoslavia. <laughs> now Serbia. And uh, and so, can you just um, inform the listeners how uh, you know how you became? I mean, you're in Australia now. You 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 came to Australia when you were 17, I think, right? Um, yes. So, how you got over to Australia, and then your background as you progressed out after teenage years with yoga a little bit, okay. the, the mid years. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah. Um, my father, because he was also, of course, the Second World War broke out and he was constricted into the Hungarian army. Mm. Hungary at the time, like um, it, Italy was with the Germans because we lost a lot of territory after the First World War. Mm. So then they offered it back to us. So they kind of joined in on the surface. And then, of course, my father was on the Eastern Front for the entire time of the war and then got captured and then he spent uh, a holiday two and a half years in deep in Siberia so when he returned by the time he got back it was our region was no longer Hungary it became uh, the northern section of Serbia or Yugoslavia mm. and so we became a national minority and then because of this, we were able to resign the city or the parents, anyhow, resign the citizenship and uh, leave the country. So uh, my father decided to migrate and uh, I asked him, you know, I don't have a problem here. I, I had a good life. And uh, I said to him, why are we, why do you want to leave? And he said, because I don't want my sons to go to war. It's always a war in Europe. So he said, I don't want them to go to war anymore. By this stage, I had a brother 10 years younger than me. And uh, so we migrated to Australia. And uh, long story short, they offered me citizenship on arrival, and not, not stating why. Yeah. The rest of the family didn't get it, just me. Yeah. And then um, a few, few, when was it? They got here 65 and 69. I got arrested in Sydney for being a conscientious objector without knowing that I was one. 
And I said to them, why? And they said, well, you know, you didn't register for the army. And uh, so that's how they were recruiting the, the yeah. foreign yeah, ready for the army. So then I was uh, taken to jail and I was given an option, two years in jail or two years in the army. I said, no, I'm going to the army. And then I ended up going to Vietnam. And then when I returned from service, uh, and then I decided, okay, enough of martial arts, enough of this, and let me do something okay. which is more constructive. Right. So how, how long were you in Vietnam for? One year. One year. And you were practicing? I was practicing. there in 1971. That's just crazy. And you weren't practicing yeah. yoga when you were in Vietnam? Well, no, practicing <laughs> other things. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a history. What a history you've had. Um, and, uh, and then, so after that, um, let's um, inform people how your journey progressed and, and towards the shadow yoga. Because I've heard these stories before. If you don't mind telling them again, it's, you know, incredible uh, I'm yeah. quite happy to say yeah. that. Well, you know, when I got back, I had first thing that I had to do was get my head straight. <laughs> and that was not an easy thing because, you know, you, you are prepared for almost a year. And then one year service, active service. So preparation is one thing. And then you are actually utilizing the, the, the programming. And then all of a sudden, your time is up, and uh, thank you very much, and uh, no deprogramming. So you are like a stunned mullet at the airport, uh, looking like uh, now how, how to proceed, because you know, everybody seems like they're all asleep. I'm the only person awake, you know, so charged up. Yeah. And uh, so it took a while. It took me about a year and a half. And then slowly I came out of that state. And then I decided to, um, to do other things and something really constructive where one can do good things. Right. In, for the community, yeah? yeah? Yeah. And so I was looking. I wasn't sure what it was. You know, then I, by this stage, I was doing my usual yoga practice and, you know, just the basic stuff, just to feel good. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, one day I was in this uh, bookshop. It was called the Third World Bookshop Bookstore. And uh, I'm looking at and Then all of a sudden I saw light on yoga. I never seen this book before, right? And that was the very first, uh, you know, the very hard copy, the very first edition. A Younger's Light on Yoga, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I opened it up and, uh, you know, like... Uh, looking at him and I thought, wow, this, this little fat guy is not bad. <laughs> you know, because he looked pudgy, you know, like so yeah, body. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and for me, it was a strange thing to look at because I grew up also gymnastic background in the Slavonic country and, you know, it kind of cut. So it, it kind of, the picture was funny. So plus the, the plates look so old. I thought, wow, probably this guy is already dead. And um, anyhow, so I'm wandering around with the book and I read it and I really enjoyed reading the information. And then I ran into one of the, the hippies that I knew, you know, that he wandered around India and he's been to Pune. And I said, um, I wonder if this guy is alive. He said, yeah, he said, I've been to his institute. So he gave me the address. So I wrote to the um, gentleman and I said, um, I just I said, I got your book, and I said, judging by the plates, I thought maybe it's really old and you're dead. 
And I said, ran into some hippie friend of mine, and he said that he, you were alive. So I said, it made me really happy. <laughs> he gave me your address. So he wrote back to me, said, I'm so glad that you're happy that I'm not dead. What would you like? So I wrote to him, and I said, I'd like to learn yoga. And then he wrote back, and he said, well, stop talking and get here. And that's how we met. And, and you met How long did you go there for? I was with him. I think I moved away from the association and stuff somewhere in 95. Oh, wow. So, so I, right. Yeah. Well, I was with him. I, I had a very good connection, and it, it was great what I received there. And it really helped me to pave the, the rest of the journey. Did he, did, he, uh, did, did he put you in? So you weren't part of the institution. He never kind of certified you. Well, I did get a certificate, but I said to him that I, when the association came onto the scene, I said to him, I said, you know, I came to you as your student. Can I just stay a student because I'm really not good in associations? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I really, uh, even the small kind of uh, knowledge I have of you so far, I would say you're not really the association kind of guy. Yeah. No. And then he said, yeah, of course. And of course, he laid it on me, and then one thing followed the other, and I did what he asked me to do. And then I said, okay, now I've done it. So there's a few enemies now, so I stepped back, and I just stayed your student. And he was gay, because it just stayed like that. And then then I, uh, of course, I queried about uh, Kechari Mudra and all this stuff. And he, it was him who really opened the door for me, because... Okay. I uh, went privately, asked him, and I said, you know, Guruji, I said, I really need to ask you, um, is this Kachari Mudra? I said, it keeps popping up for me. And I said, is this a story on the moon or is it real? Just explain what the Kachari Mudra is, because people won't know. Like, come back to the, the Kachari Mudra. It's, it's basically you put the tongue up and do things with it. Yeah, that's simply put. very subtle, energetic gesture in the body. Yeah, so yes, you go to a Yangar and, and they already say, and so he said to me, It's like this if it's your karma, the gurus are waiting for you. He was fantastic. Yeah, so he didn't say it's not, it's not good. He said, No, I don't teach this, I only teach this. Yeah, but if it's your karma, they will appear. And he was right, they did appear. The sadhu appeared, and, and then I, uh, I took the guidance on that first. The first one that appeared initiated me with the uh, shapes of sounds upon the different, in the different body sections. And the initiation was like he drew everything on my body, right from my forehead all the way to my feet and hands. How did you come upon that, that guru? I mean, we, how did that happen? I don't. I just met this person, and I was asking. He's, he's a master healer, right? And um, I just went to see out of uh, uh, how can I say um, curious, curiosity, or maybe I can learn something because some of these master healers are very, very good with adjustments on body parts, on people. So, and you know, with the yoga, you do adjustments. And, uh, you know, when you are early days, uh, one is rough. So then the, the, the word gets around about it. <laughs> so there's always a refinement process. So I thought maybe I, I pick up something. And I saw a drawing in his place. And I was really, it was an esoteric drawing. In India? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he said, um, 
I said to him, I said, can I have a copy of that? And he looked at me for a long time. He said, yes. But he said, first, I have to initiate you. And I said to him, why? I'm not your student. I said, it should have been done a while ago. So he, he did the initiation, but no sounds. Just he said, these sounds will come alive in you one day. But you have to be very patient. So you have to memorize all the drawings on the different parts of the body, which I did. And then slowly another sadhu appeared and uh, I was taken in with the sound system that is required for the practice of Kechari. And then the final one was uh, when I got initiated with the Natsampradaya, which I wasn't looking for in Nepal. I was looking for something else. And then I ended up being initiated. And then this is when the information was parted to me how to proceed with the Kechari uh, Mudra and the associated uh, practices with it. So it was quite a process from 95, but uh, one has to be very patient. And I think people, it's good for people to hear this that nothing comes all at once. And it is always better to be patient and wait than looking for it because you can end up with a disaster on hand instead of uh, what you hope to find. And to, I mean, obviously you're famous now for the shadow yoga, which you finally created your own association, um, kind of, right? Well, it's not even an association. It's just uh, I needed to sort of have a differentiation so people know that uh, it's it's thought differently here than the, you know, the everyday, especially nowadays, it's just any mishmash. And basically, I took the name from the Shiva Samhita. There is a, a part in one of the chapters that speaks of the yoga of the shadow man. And it is called uh, Chaya or Pratika. And so I took the Chaya term. And it's basically Hatha Yoga. And, um, and you're dealing with um, seven layers of shadows. The seven, uh, seven different gazes of Shambhavi Mudra, exactly that. And the seven courses that are the layers, uh, seven different layers inside his body. The ter- term kosha means entrapment. Mm-hmm. Basically, each every person functions through one of these entrapments, you know, so that's their circuit. And so the idea is that if you follow the appropriate practices, preparatory work, and then slowly, as you're ready, you are going through the different layers and becoming conscious of them, and eventually you get behind them. And then uh, you manage to sort of utilize their energies instead of either repressing them or denying them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Before we get, I know, obviously I want to talk about that a lot more. Um, yeah. Before we get into that, you've got to tell the story about how you came into, you know, developing this shadow yoga with the temple. Oh, with the temple, yeah. Well, the, um, I find I was teaching in Boston. It was, it is, it's bizarre because that was my first time in Boston and, just in the center where I, there was a big center, so the other things were happening. And this person walked up to me and put this PDF in my hands. You know, it was a printout of the Parshupata Sutras. And um, I never heard of it. And the person said to me, one day you may be interested in this. And 
I kind of looked at the sutras, looked at the person, and then he disappeared. I never ever saw him again. So I started reading, and I got very interesting because it, the sutras were much more cryptic than Patanjali. And then when I looked in and I started researching, they outdated all the tantric because they're the oldest tantric group that uh, came from uh, the Harappan civilization of Mohenjo-daro, which is now the present-day Pakistan near the region of Lahore. Right. And it was them who worshipped the Lord Pashupati in what, you know, the horned god sitting in Mulabandasana, mm-hmm. whose proper name is Bhagasana. So the Mulabandasana is a later name. It means and the same. Pashupati kind of precedes, uh, is very old, right? It's kind of precedes. Very old. And, yeah. 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 And these were famed for um, doing the Shiva Tanda, or particular dance. Right. And of course, we have to be very careful in, in with the dance according to the Shastras in India because you have Nata, Nacha, Nritta, and Nritya. So Nritta is called the pure dance and it is for the cultivation of the inner quality. The others are all performances for, uh, you know, storytelling or right. stage production or, you know, drama. Mm-hmm. And... So I, I got very interested in this because then I came across also drawings of um, Goraknath, Matsyendranath, all the great Hatha Yogin masters, all in Karanas. And the Karana is a term for the dance positions, right? the dance shapes, yeah, and the standing work. And I thought, wow, you know, so if these masters were, are portrayed symbolically in the Karanas, that means they were also they're the extension of the Pashupatis because the Pashupatis, they had a second research uh, 1st century AD. They went underground around the Lord Buddha's time and Patanjali, and then they reasserted uh, from Gujarat in the 1st century AD. And then again, they went underground around 6th, 7th century. The last, second last guru was Kaundinya, who is a great Hatha Yogin as well, right? Mm. And he gives a basya on the sutras. And then all of a sudden we have uh, Adinath appearing as Pashupati Nath, yeah? and then we got Matsyendranath and his story, and then Goraknath, his story, Jalandarnath, his story, uh, Chauranginath and his story. And I thought, wow, you know, these, uh, they utilize this for preparatory work. And by, by this stage, I had a, a very good copy of the sutras. And it was very clear for me that the, the, the dance was utilized to get to the floor. And then they just went straight into some mudras and pranayamas, and they were in it. And I thought, okay, this is very good. So I started researching, and I heard of this temple down in um, Tamil Nadu. The... Uh, Lord Nataraja's temple, Chidambara. And I, I just wanted to go there, and uh, I thought, okay. So I arrived to the temple, and I, as soon as I got to the first uh, gate, I crossed it through the eastern gate. It's a massive temple on 24 hectares. I looked up, and I saw all the 108 karanas carved in, light on the gopra, and I knew why I was there. So then I go in, I go to the priests, and I'm asking, and they say, Nothing. They probably didn't want to give any information or they it's gone out of style. 
So I got quite depressed and then I went into all the Murti shops and then I find one Murti shop and they were very nice. And I said, can I buy this book? They said, oh, we have uh, one copy. I said, I'll give you $500, give me, sell me the book. And they said, no, no, 10 rupees will do fine. And uh, so they gave me the book, but it was in old Tamil. So, you know, I'm not further down the line than before. So I went back and I just sat around the Gopura. And then one day, uh, I think third day there, and I'm trying to sort of figure out what I'm looking at. And then I'm looking at the book. So this Baba was next to me and he touched my foot. And he said, you interested in that? And he was sadhu. And I, I looked at him and I thought, okay, now he's after bakshish or something. So my first reaction was to tell him what to do with himself. Then I thought, maybe not. And I said, yes, I am. And then I ignored him. And then again, he tapped me and he said, come with me. So he took me to the middle of the, in the temple. And there was a hall called the Hall of Thousand Pillars. And, you know, the, it was beautiful. And then on the outside was on a platform, but it was the, the platform, the base of it was overgrown with the grass. And he just moved the grass. And there it was the basic practice with the karanas that are important to use for self-cultivation. Yeah. And then I said to him, you know this? And then it was my turn with my mouth fell open because this Baba just did three, four moves and then a couple of simple ones. The next thing, his leg was behind his uh, head without touching it. And then I said, okay, there we go, Sahaja Avasta, the natural state. And then, of course, uh, so he was very kind and he showed me and he took me through a number of times. And then we, a couple of days later, when we parted, I, I said to him, he was wondering, Baba, yeah? I said, when am I, where am I going to find you? And he went like this. I said, okay, I got the message. And then I just took it on from then onwards. And then slowly, other information started to come in. And then we, um, then slowly, the uh, next to the prelude system that Shadow Yoga has, then we started to introduce the karanas. Right. So, I mean, just on a very basic level, explain the preludes and the, and the sequences. Is it like an Ashtanga? I mean, most of our listeners are more based in Ashtanga, right? So, yeah. 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 Do you have the series? How does it, how does it go? The Ashtanga is, uh, is more linear, right? right. Yeah. So when I, um, and this is what I use when I started to see a lot of the people, you know, like, Okay, some have ability and availability, but it's just kind of, as they call it, 10% luck. Mm. And, um, you know, you can only run on luck for so long and then you run out of luck. And mm. then what? And a lot of the people that were coming to the school, they couldn't even stand properly, couldn't squat. And I was not into props. So the um, so I started to draw upon... Um, you know, some of the, the martial things that I knew, the one leg straight and single legged squat on a ball mm -hmm. of the foot and then mm -hmm. squatting on the balls of the feet, just to teach people to how to lower the energy of the body, how to raise it. So, and a lot of them could go down, but could not come up because the legs were weak. And of course, you know, when they complained that it was, and I said, look, you can't even squat and you want to do something difficult. 
I said, you can't squat. That means you're constipated all the time. So let's get first things first. You know, you need to have empty bowels to be able to do some good yoga. And then they decided to see the, uh, the realistic side of things. And then they started to come. So we have pre prelude. Prelude means you work this, and when, when you can happen with it, then we start taking you into the linear activities. And the preludes, they're involving, as I remember, because I've done a couple of shadow yoga classes. Yes. The preludes are like a squat on a low, like a low squat with one arm yeah. leg out, and then a lot of twisting and turning between yeah. the sides, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just they're just side movements, and yeah. so slowly moving the energy, loosening the system up. Right. And then um, once they qualified for it, then then we can teach them, you know, like Surya Namaskar proper, and Prasarita, the Trikonasana, some of the variations in Prasarita. So slowly like that, and then. We started to take them into the much more uh, you know, organized, proper yoga dimensions. But they had to earn it. So same is also the people who, who are teaching it. And they had to die a few times before I agreed for them to do it. And, What's you know, they, have, they had to have their own schools and they had to rely on their own understanding. Is there, a sequence, is there a sequence of movements or after the preludes? No, can you definitely. Right. They, had to, they had to learn the, uh, the first the preludes. They had to learn and they'll be very sufficient in the preludes. And then, yeah. of course, the, what we call the asana angaharas. Angahara means arrangement. So the certain some of the asanas in a particular arrangement for the sake of learning. And when they cover that, then they had enough material if they wanted, if they had the quality of a teacher inside themselves to help people, then they ran their own school. But they, it was there, they had to find a name for their own school. And they saw, taught in a shadow style, but it was their school, not ours. Right. But the arrangements are given by you, or, or does someone make their own arrangements? No, no, the arrangements are there. This is the sequential arrangement how to proceed. And, and train people and guide them towards where they need to be. And then, of course, there is uh, eventually comes where you don't need those uh, arrangements. I never got clear whether the arrangements you found from the book or whether you kind of utilized your own knowledge. And, and, and I, did, um, I used old textbooks and right. uh, old drawings from, uh, from Nepal and India, northern India. And they were very different than down in South, of course, because geographical conditions, weather conditions are different. So definitely different ways, different rhythms were utilized. So I drew upon that plus my own on, on practice. And I, I never introduced anything I never put to use. So, mm-hmm. Would you call yourself traditional? Would you call yourself traditional? And, and you know, just definitely. To- well, let me put it to you this way. The, the Nat Yogins are orthodox in following the rules of the universe. Heterodox in their learnings and arrangements and are no completely unorthodox in application. Okay. 
It's, uh, so, yes, you have the basic rules of learning. The term Adesh, with the not, not Babas, it means it, it's just a reminder when two of them meet one another, they say Adesh. Adesh means a reminder that there is a universal order and one must learn to follow that accordingly to its un, un, unwinding. So eventually that one will flow through one. So there is definitely the basic uh, basic things you have to learn with the body. It's like learning the alphabet for any language. You mm. don't know the alphabet, forget it. Mm. Because you don't have a sound system to organize into uh, syllables and then later on into words and, uh, and then sentences and so on and so forth. This is no different to that. But once it comes to to learning arrangements and stuff, then that's why there's so many different uh, school traditions in India. This tradition follows in a particular way that that tradition. Then you got the Ashtanga, they did this, and you know, like Mr. Rangar and Patabi came from the same guru, and yet they're so different in their representations. But so this had this was always allowed. And when we look at the procedures of the arrangements and activities. You learn, let's say you learn a set of asanas, standing work, seated work. You have um, unfolding movements, which are what nowadays called backbends, and then folding in movements. And it's all about folding the navel. And it's not about uh, doing things with your hips because the hips are stiff, they bone. But it is a soft energy that allows the folds, and then the bones will just carry that. And the inner shape is always a subtle shape. So when you do, like nowadays, they do Paschimottanasana, people say, I'm doing a forward bend. Excuse me, you're not going forward. Forward is there. You're folding down. That right. means you're talking west. That means what happens in the west. The sun goes down beyond the waters in the west. The navel is the sun in the body. So that has to sink behind the second chakra. What is it saying? Unfolding beyond the waters. So definitely this is where the opening is for the posterior nadi. And then, of course, if I do bhujangasana, I'm unfolding. Now, bhujangasana is the only one that doesn't allow overextension of the diaphragm. All the other fancy backbands, they, they allow that and unconsciously happen and it causes a difficulty later on in pranayama because the energy of the stomach will block the movement of the pranic flow all the way to the base. And so these are, you know, people don't take into consideration. Uh, looks fancy, looks good, maybe it's okay. It's not so great because none of the texts they show. Bhujangasana has three variations. One passive, you know, like mild, the other one is intermediate, and then you have a very intense one. So why go any further? And it works exactly on the same chakra area as uh, Paschimottanasana, so those two are married. So as I understand it, I'm um, kind of skipping ahead slightly, but I'll do it now. Um, yeah. At a certain point, you shouldn't strain yourself with the asanas. I think, I mean, I saw a, a demonstration that you've done recently that you've you, kindly let me see it and it was quite subtle and gentle and you you were talking about how the asanas can overexert the energy of the body which is actually <laughs> latterly in the in the journey of yoga unhelpful is that right yeah right. it is we, you have to go inwards it's not outwards 
So, like I can tell you out of my personal thing, of course, physically I was born with the gift. It was there. And then, of course, you run on that. But this is what they call 10% luck. And then uh, 15% comes with the development of skills and and you're running with skill and luck. And then uh, they say you kind of maybe manage 20% of the concentrated power of will. But nowadays, this is confused in the first few sessions or sections of obsessions. So basically nowadays people, they have a gift and then they get into it and they obsess and they confuse that with the concentrated power of will. Concentrated power of will is consciousness. And there's a huge difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And so one has to take into consideration that one doesn't go down that road. And then they say, because of this, you will experience 5% of joy. So that's 50%. And then it is followed by 50% of pain and 100% of good reason. Never forget the term Anko-chan, which means the venerable shining descent of consciousness. So this is given to the beginner initiate. And, you know, like we are, we also have, uh, we only hear what we want to hear sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like when, uh, when my sadhu said to me, okay, when you take tongue up and you prepare the tongue, the tradition I come from, we sever the frenum. Mm. There's a, also the tradition that doesn't sever. They have their own ways to get it, right? Right. So um, I followed, and the first thing he told me, all elaborate work you have to leave behind. Right. Uh, you know, and I said, uh, yeah, sure, okay. But in the back of the, the mind, it said, no. Nah. I'll do what he told me to do, and then I do my stuff. I mean, elaborate work, you know, for me, elaborate work, it was not. Viparita Chakrasana into Hanuman and stuff was like a warm-up. Yeah, but uh, the Baba was right, and I was wrong. Right when I got to the, the last day where I severed the last part of the frenum, which took me about 12 months, I went to do Viparita Chakrasana and dislocated both shoulders, ripped off the tendons from the humerus and also all the rotator cuffs went bye-bye. And while my right bicep was torn in half, so I had to have a surgery to reconnect the biceps. And um, it took me quite a few years to to restructure the, the shoulder and the joint. The good thing was that the large muscle groups took over the work of the rotator cuffs, and but you don't need to go here. Mm. And this is the ones that uh, with the ability, and sometimes it can cause a very bad blind spot. It is always better to go a little bit less, just in case somebody comes and pushes you from behind, you fall off the cliff. You don't know what comes to the surface. Mm, mm, That's a good analogy. Um, So this, uh, can you just give a little bit more of an overview of people are curious of the inner work that you're doing now and, you know, and the kind of tantric elements, the Kriyas. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion about this now, um, although people are quite curious. Can you say something about that? Yes. Yeah. The, um, 
you know, when you're learning the internal work, let's say, even when you're doing either Ashtanga, because I, I learned Ashtanga, the first is uh, form some uh, Darby. Yeah, he told we me. We met in the Greece, and so yeah. we had a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And then so, and also, you know, John and John Scott and myself, we sort of shared teaching. I showed one side, he showed the Ashtanga side, and it was very good. But in either arrangement, you're doing with the asanas and stuff, and then you do maybe some of the mudras, bandhas, and then you do the um, some of the kriya work, and then you learn the different modes of pranayama. But you do sections. So each, each mode of activity you learn in their own section. And for learning, it is very good. But for life... It is not good. I, I just quote my sergeant when I arrived to uh, Vietnam after being prepared for everything and then we landed on the tarmac and he said to us, welcome darlings and just uh, one piece of advice, whatever they taught you back home, you forget or you'll be dead by the end of the week. When I was a super soldier and then a sergeant receives you like that who only spent, already spent five years in that zone, yeah? professional soldier, so you hear him. And then I, then you begin to understand that what you learned was okay, but here is real. And you're not dealing with uh, some premeditated activity or safe activity. Here you're on unsafe ground, you're in life, right up to here. So it is the same. So you learn all these different modes, the different modes of pranayama, and when you start going in towards the inner work, of um, which requires the some of the asanas, but mainly mudra work, and then some of the mudras are bodily mudras, and the others are the kechari, and some of the other ones are mental, during pranayama. And of course, you also have to learn mantra, sound. And the appropriate mantra goes with the appropriate activity, otherwise you get nowhere. So when you learn, start learning all these uh, things, you learn them all, and then people don't know what to do with them. But when you start to go into what they call, refer to as a Kriya Yoga part, this is when you all these different modes that you have learned, you take the, the different modes of the Pranayama and the Kriyas and this and the Mudras, and you bring them all into one single effort. So to give you some idea, right? So I prepared, uh, let's say, the physical part of Kechari Mudra I mastered. I mastered Mahamudra, I mastered um, Mahaveda, and, you know, and Garba Mudra and Kapali Asana or Kapali Mudra, which is nowadays called headstand. And then... Um, you do with a pebble, by the way. I'm yes, uh, I will talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I've got it here. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, and so then you learn Nauli Kriya. Yeah. And then Bastrika Pranayama, Kapalabhati. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Nadi Shuddhi. Then you have uh, Surya Beda Pranayama or Chandra Beda or Anuloma Viloma. So these are different modifications of manipulations purely for the mind. But it is energetic. So when you do start working internally, you no longer have this section and this section and this section. You bring them. So let's say 
when I started with the, when they gave me the first routine of a single effort, I had to do Bastrika. Then, of course, I had to do some preparatory asana to get to this point. Mm. So I did Bastrika for about three minutes. Mm. Now my tongue is up. I don't use my hand to do this. This is no torture. It's the tongue that does the manipulation of the nasal passage. And um, so, so when uh, when I do two to three minutes, it's uh, you know like some days it's only one minute because you have to respond to what's in here. And then a slow release, and then the in breath is through Surya Beda. Just a very slow draw in with the mantra. Release of the breath through the opposite nostril with a double repetition of the mantra. And then you got Nauli Kriya, where you turn left to right, right to left using the mantra. And then you use central pumping it to conclude. Then that goes into the Anabanda and you use Kakini Mudra, where your tongue is up, you roll the tongue like this, but it's up. Yeah? And then you draw the breath in. So you draw the breath in via the tongue, but through the mouth. It comes in so around the tongue. And then, then once you fill in, then you do uh, Kumbhaka, retention, inhale retention, right, as they call it. And you do four repetition of the mantra. And the mantra is quite long because this is inhale retention. Then you the slow release to the left nostril. And then Udiyana Banda, and then you draw the right. inhale with the mantra through Ujjayi. This is one round. So the point is that there's a lot of tools that you're utilizing at the same time. And is it yeah. so, I mean, it sounds incredibly complicated and specific. Um, do you understand the reason? I mean, you're working with energy, right? So, but do you understand the reasons why you're repeating two mantras or not one mantra? And does it make a huge difference if you get something slightly wrong? Well, you slightly wrong, you feel the energy drops. Right. The moment you, if you miss a sound, it drops. That you right? feel it in your body. Oh, definitely. The mantra gives the body, the subtle body. Right? The subtle energy inside the downward channel of the tongue, which is also the downward channel of the Sushumnanadi, as they call it. But the, I rather I prefer to use the Avaduti, the indivisible channel. It right. has a downward and upward at the posterior side. So when, let's say, you do Bastrika, that means that really gets the heat happening inside the body, in the organs and everything. And then when you do Nauli, then you inhale and you increase the heat more with Surya Beda because you're using the sun channel. And then when you do a Nauli Kriya, now the term Nauli, some people translated, modern translators, like now, like a boat. Mm. But it does not make sense because Nauli can also be Nali or Nala, which means channel. And there's a hidden, is a hint here that when you do, when you manipulate the channel of the abdominal region through the recti, right, it stimulates the nadi in the brain, which runs from the back of the left ear, which is called the bancanali or the crooked or curved channel, which runs from the back of the left ear 
over the top of the brain and comes down into the Brumadja or the Ajna Chakra and then turns there. And it empowers the energy, the, the light in the, through the two eyes. So this is a, this is all he, it, it is hidden. They explained it. It gives it. They give it to the initiates. Mm -hmm. That's why you know. Even if you ask Darby, he tell you not to. No, forget it. You have to learn it, and then you get it. Mm -hmm. And um, and this is what is uh, hidden. So the Naoli prepares the brain, right? Now, when you are doing the kechari churning, matana, matana means, or mantana means to char, like this. Mm. So, when you're churning with the tongue, the tip of the tongue is directly underneath the sphenoid cavity. Now, below that, on either side here, you have the sphenoid wings, which the, the pranic, uh, prana flows through. So, when you start churning with the tip of the tongue stuck against there, the tip of the tongue is very hot by nature, right? The root of the tongue is relaxed. The uvula is at the back of the tongue. The secretion that is produced inside the glands in the brain is dripping down to here. And this is very spongy. And this is where the energy is absorbed back into the system, into the subtle body, right? So the elixir doesn't go down. But the saliva glands are also activated in, in the sides of the cheeks and in the throat which flushes the throat and goes down and feeds the fire below. So when I start churning this with the sound, mantra is fire. So it starts to increase the heat in the sphenoid cavity. Now there's a little duct that runs from the sphenoid cavity into the, um, to the pituitary gland. Right. Now the heat is escaping towards the gland and the glands get really irritated because too much heat wants to cool the brain. So it starts overproducing melatonin, serotonin, and all the other stuff. So the body goes completely sedative. sedative. Yeah, it's a sedative. Gets into the bloodstream and everything gets just soft. And you, this is your, what you experience, right? Oh, yeah. Why are you, why are you doing this? Each, each cycle gets better. And then... At the same time, you override the amygdala. The amygdala is a circuit that if there's some form of fear or danger appears, mm. it bangs, it hits on the heart, and it changes its rhythm, and then that's the end of you mm. with the, any concentration, right? So this, this activity of the tongue overrides the amygdala, and of course the four the ventricles of the brain and the ventricles of the heart are connected. And this is why in Sanskrit, the Hindus, when they speak of heart, they also refer to brain. So this is all the Shakti Chalani. So this is a setup to get the mind dissolved and disappear into its own source, right? And the breath also into its own source, and then Shakti is able to rise. I'm just laughing because before this interview, I said to Shando, we have to try and keep this basic. <laughs> and that, you know, I mean, it's incredibly interesting, but I mean, that, yeah. It's very simple. Right. If you learn, I mean, if you do the proper, if you prepare well, it's like this. It's, it's beautiful. It's a, and it's like uh, you don't need to do many. 
I've got a few more questions to ask, and I just have to um, get them in whilst we have oh. time. What about the heads down with the pebble? And 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 the when heads. you showed, and when you showed the demonstration recently, also interestingly, you said my body is refusing to do this almost yes. because it's too late yeah. in the day because it's too late, and yeah. I shouldn't do headstand after dawn. Yes. Well, the um, any text that the old text, if you approach, they all warn that. Um, the so-called Sirsasana nowadays, or really the uh, what the sadhus they call it, Kapali Mudra or Kapali Asana, right? They um, they give a warning that this asana or this mudra should be done prior to sunrise, around the time of sunrise, not before, not around midnight, or not any other part of the day. So when I was doing the demonstration, it was well, uh, you know, like it was around midday and uh, actually after midday. And it was very interesting for me because I don't have a difficulty. This thing, I can stay a long time. I've done a lot of work on the, on the head. And um, it was uh, almost like a refusal to go up. Even the, the tongue slipped out from the, the upper cavity. And then I had to put it back. And um, so I, I took note of it and I said, okay, you're not very kind, happy to go up, but we're going up. So I went up and of course, you know, even if you do a little bit of a situation, but if I know what to do to reconstruct, that it's not advisable. And I noticed on a lot of people who went to do, to practice um, inversions in the afternoon, it was uh, they all ended up being bloated and carrying excess weight, and hmm. it's not a good thing. What, why it causes, is that? Fluid, it causes fluid retention, right? Especially when you do sarvangasana and stuff, hmm? you're dealing with fluid. <clears throat> that's that's the thing with the Engar people, then. <laughs> is that <laughs> some of it, yes? Is there inversions in the afternoon? What about the um, the pebble? Why is it the pebble? Yeah, why are you bouncing on a on a like a? It's not. I'm calling it a pebble, but it's like a, a special carved uh, disc with a silver yes. um, disc, moon disc inside, right? This, this is the one. It's a slightly dome shape. You can see it, right? It's about <clears throat> five centimeters in diameter, but the the where the tip of the dome comes in is about <clears throat> maybe six seven millimeters, no more. It is because of the Adipati Marma. Now, the Adipati Marma is the number one Marma right here at the crown. When we talk of a crown, it's between the Bregma and the top of the tip of the uh, tuft. So then one should not do it there, but should be done on this section here, halfway. Now, the Adipati Marma controls all the other Marmas in the body. And um, also, the skin that is on top of this marma here, you know, the skin of the scalp, it opens the central nadi when you get on that point. But when you have the whole head flat, you're not, you know, it's too much of a platform to be. This is why the old text that talk, talks about the betel nut and then standing on the nut. That is even smaller, yeah, almost. 
So the so, too much. Yeah. So then when you when you put this point on, this marma also controls the entire surface of the skin. Now you have just prepared, maybe you have prepared for a good hour or so, if not more, right? With other things. So all those experiences are imprinted on the feeling of your skin. And of course, the pranic uh, force is there as well. So the moment you get onto this marma, it enters the prana, all of it is withdrawn from the surface of the skin and internalized in the nadi. Right? Then underneath this, you have the sutures and the bone, right? Now, the bone is the one that is the beginning of building through the mantra and also the breath movement. Here, the, the rhythm of the breath is utilized in a particular manner. It begins to develop. Now, there are 24 energetic sites in the physical body that eventually are centralized and becomes what they call the bindu. So now this point here in the, from the switch, it feeds in energetically into the innermost right ear. And this is the seat of truth, truth and uh, not even truth, it's compassion and kindness. And the energy shoots across into the left temple. This is inside the brain we're dealing with and the cavities. Mm. It triggers the memory of ancestry and domains. That means the proper order of teaching and inheritances, including your karmic inheritance, which sinks into the left ear cavity at the back from where the curved nadi comes into the seat of truth, which is the Brumadya chakra or the Ajna chakra. I suppose I mentioned that because it's interesting it also talks, I think Patabi talk, Joyce talks in the Yoga Mala about spoiling the subtle nadis of the, of the mind, of the head, if you do headstand incorrectly. Yes. Right. That's my headstand was always done at the end. Ah, look, I done headstand at the beginning before other practices in the middle at the end, and it only works on the end. It takes you straight into the proper cultivation of things. Is the, the king. So that's why they call it the king of all asanas. So he's the king of all marmas, and it is the king over these. So it runs the sutra right from the Adipati Marma all the way. So the nadi, the skin opens, the nadi fills it with juice, and then you start zigzagging and collecting all the energies. And is this so when we, we taught yeah. that by experience, or did someone did the guru? tell you this or did you learn this by experience it was imparted to me and then of course i uh, followed the pathway and i'm kind of conscious that we're, we're slipping out of time um what if someone wanted to get involved in in you know taking their asana to it to a deeper place in you know where would they start would they i mean you know do we need to read texts or how how would you start you can't learn this from books Right. You need someone who's a little bit ahead than yourself. Right. To avoid uh, shortcomings or injuries. Because, you know, like with, when you start going internally, the injuries are difficult. And if you get an injury, it will take a very long time to heal. 
Now, the other thing that goes in hand in hand with these 24 sites is the movements of the moon. And Goraknath very clearly explains this in Siddha Siddhanta Padati. One has to be aware of what type of energy you are dealing with during the ascending of the moon, like the um, waxing moon, and how the, that same energy behaves on the way down during waning. And the tongue is the boss. And uh, unless one is clear of these, and then you're tapping in the dark. So these are all are given to the individual during initiation. This is where the initiations come in. Didn't you tell me you can't really do yoga to a to a level without knowing the Kachari Mudra, the tongue? Um, Definitely. Right. You need the, the, you need they the, refer to the tongue as the key. But you need, also need to find someone who can teach you that. You can't just go and read the yoga Pradipika and, uh, and pick it up. Well, you, can, you can read it. And, uh, you look, I know known people who could always put their tongue up, right? Yeah. I had one student like that. He was really strong and good, but he, eventually he went astray because the way the tongue got up there in the first place, it was an escape from a certain set of mindset and circumstances that the poor person was involved. And then every time, though it was accessible for him, every time he put the tongue up into the desired area, the mind went into that particular mode of escape. And yoga is not about escape. It's not about uh, denial. It's not about repressions. It is about seeing clearly what is, what isn't, what is available and what isn't. And if one has to wait for it, and sometimes you are very disadvantaged. And you just have to use the disadvantaged area and turn it into source that's, of power. That's kind of interesting because, I mean, do, do you use these techniques? Do they filter into daily life? Are they relevant to daily life or is yoga a pure tra transcendence? No, look, it's in, in, there in daily life. How would you okay. use that, those kind of yes. seriously transcendent practices in a pragmatic daily way? Well, you know, sometimes you would like to do something and you started to do a particular activity or, you know, you decided to do this particular work and all of a sudden the advantage is like 10% and 90% disadvantage. So if, if you already have made steps within this, you have to weigh it up. Can you run from it? Or do you have to take the disadvantage and make use of the advantage to, to bring about the change? That makes sense? Kind of, kind of. I mean, I just kind of wonder, like, are you, how... How could you be, are you still engaged in, in regular life after having these kind of crazy subtle experiences and, you know, doing this practice, which I can only envisage is taking mm. you to another world, to another dimension. And, 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 you know, and yet you're living in, you know, in, you know, in Sydney in the normal life, you know, getting up, making a cup of tea, whatever. I mean, are you still interested in the process of living a normal life? And how does that feel now within having these deep practices of yoga? Well, you know, whatever you learn in the yoga, it also comes through in the life that you lead. Right. You work along those uh, 
principles, you know, like an average person practices yoga once a day. Right? I do the sessions three times a day. Sunrise, sun one and a half hour before sunrise, one and a half before sunset, one and a half hour before midnight. Now with all this uh, daylight saving and situation, it's a job, the midnight session. Because I have to hang around until the, the time is right and uh, then do it then. But, uh, you know, each section of the day has its own appropriate tools to approach. If you use the, the, the wrong approach at the right time, then, then you pay for it. So you, might, you must be a master of the craft and the master of the tools to, to know how to utilize the energy of the day, even if it's, let's say, the, the moon's energy a little bit distorted or it's not so great. You can still utilize it, but with understanding. And same is in the daily life. You know, what you learn here, if you some difficulty approaches, you don't straight away cut your own throat or slash your wrist, as they say. But no, you know, you take a stand and let me look at it and maybe I'm wrong or let, let me see what it shows me. So you're still living like, a normal kind of life in the world? Yeah, of course. You have to show your face in a world. That doesn't mean that my heart is in it. Right. So what, what are your aims? The aim? What are your aims now in life? Yeah. Life is, uh, I am, I'm gifted with uh, this quality of understanding so I can help all those ones who have, who are in line to learn, the ones that want to learn. Yeah. So compassion is still a big part of it? Yeah, well, it's a nice, a nice gesture. <laughs> do you need to oh. do it? It's not a need. It's just a, it's a, it's a good quality. Right. Keeps my, keeps the mind in a, in a good space. Right. It's the mind that causes difficulty always. It's not the body. Body has courage. It's the mind that carries darkness. Then, you know, and the uh, speech carries the particles. So when you look at the body as the courage, why? Because it doesn't matter what sort of situation the mind works out, the body will follow it. Like a child. So it is the mind. If it's dark, then the body suffers, but it's, it has courage. And the speech, again, in inappropriate speech, affects the wrong parts. And the physical practices, are they related to this idea you see in, um, particularly in the Bhagavad Gita and such text of, of burning karma? You're limited, your mind and your, your, the software of your body is limited by the karmic impressions. And are you trying to cleanse them? Well, you don't try to cleanse it. You just do the activity and then slowly it burns up. It comes to your consciousness where, you, where you're mistaken. Like, you mistaken. Like the shadow yoga about how. I told the story with, yeah. with, the, with the, the shoulder dislocation, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, two weeks before, I said to Emma, my wife, I said, because I really did a lot of work on my back, you know, when I did martial arts, so the punch is better. And uh, <laughs> I said to her, I said, I wish all this shit on my back disappears because it was obstructing the energy. You know, the extra muscles, and they look good at one time. So, and, uh, and I completely forgotten that. And uh, somebody heard it, but uh, they didn't hear it the way I saw it. And then on the appropriate time, now, the time when I had my accident with my shoulders, 
in something that I have done so many of, that I, I kind of call the dislocation, the moon was eaten by Rahu, the head, right? Usually in India, when this, this is moon situation takes place, all the shopkeepers lock up the stores and go home because it's not a good day. And it, that's what happened. It was amazing. As I was going uh, from standing from Uttanasana into Urvadhanurasana in a, in a drop, as they say, when my hands touched the ground, the mind went somewhere. It just kind of went to a void. It hit a void. But by this stage, my leg was going across, and there was no presence of uh, attention. And one of my hands twisted and slipped, and then the end of story. So whoever heard what I said two weeks before, it delivered compassionately. Because definitely after the accident, those muscles completely dissolved. But it took me a few years to reconstruct. So it was a, how do you say, a blessing in disguise, not at the time of its happening. Mm. And I just looked at it and I said, okay. Then I remembered, yes, this is what I asked for. And then I worked with it. And it was a good thing because, you know, sometimes an ability can cause color to your perception, and you start riding it, and it's not a good thing. And it's, it is the mind that does the riding. And then it is the mind that triggers the imaginative factor into the situation and builds it out of proportions. So the whole idea is when one follows the allotted practices, when you're learning the, the different modes, then you learn that according to the advice. Okay, you know, you can do a little bit of play here and there and have fun, but don't overdo the play. And then once you arrive to the place when you are advised to now start to utilize these in this particular order, then one has to pay attention to that and respect that. Mm. And then, then, you know, there will be still a wide river to cross, but at least you'll be able to cross it because your boat will not get damaged and the karma will burn out. I just want to go back for one um, one last time. and uh, You mentioned something about Bhujangasana and Paschimottanasana yes. and um, opening the front of the body and the back of the body. Can you just kind of clarify that a tiny bit? Yes. Yeah. So basically... Paschima Uttanasana is it's a very interesting name because it has many connotations. Paschima means west, mm. Ut means intense, mm. Uttana. Tana is a reference to Lord Shiva and his name Tanu. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So um, it has many references. And um, asana also carries an acquisition of a shape with breath. Mm. Ana is the breathing in the shape. So each shape has its own rhythmic movement and one has to learn to employ that. So what's the aspect? Is that is, is as shape? As no. An is the asana. As yeah. is a kind of a suggestive towards a power principle. Okay. Asa. Uh, the other way if you read it in Reverse, then it's sa, means power. 
So Sanskrit has that play. And this can this is only learned in the pre-activities under the yogini nyasa vidim and the mantra raja, which is taught well before one is introduced to Kechari Mudra. Because this uh, this teaches you about the different energetic uh, areas of sound inside the physical structure and within the central position of the chakras. So getting to your question, the Bhujangasana opens the front door of the, basically the, at the base of the, uh, between the space of what is called the Kandastana, right? If you imagine the Kandastana is a situation of void, which has an entrance door and an exit door. So Bhujangasana opens the front door to this void system or situation or space. And the Paschimottanasana opens the back door to the posterior nadi. So the energy is brought down through the via, via the action of the tongue, the Saraswati nadi, and also the Avarohan nadi of the Sushumna. And then the Bhujangasana prepares this front opening. When you enter the situation of the Kanda, which is between the Muladhara and Aswadishtana chakras, then that front door, when you do Paschima, when you fold the navel the other way, beyond the waters, then the front door closes and the back door opens. So there's no leakage. And then the energy... But it requires the mind to realize these things. So you always, with the, with the Hatha Yoga and all these different things that you are learning, you are cultivating the understanding of the mind. So it's you taking it away from its darkness towards how to see this structure that is known and yet so unknown. But it can be learned about, and then once you understand how this mechanism works, you can step behind it and then receive that which cannot be learned, but it only comes through the experience of living the learning, it is called uh, wisdom. And when wisdom is present, then the universal order flows through the, the, the Baba unbrokenly. So they act upon, they do what that dictates. And until they fall, they remain elevated and taken care of. Even if you notice yourself, even though you are learning, if you, if you, when you're working well, this yoga has been taking care of you all the time. It showed you opportunities and without compromising either the subject or yourself. So the hand that uh, brought you into this world carries you, you just don't see it. So if one has this trust and your faith in your own personal undertaking, then you will arrive. But the moment you start investing, payment is due. <laughs> Man, I like that. <laughs> you know, when I, when I was dropped off by my father at the airport when I flew to Vietnam, yeah. he said one thing, only do what is required of you, not more. Not less, just what is required of you. 
more will be expensive and you drag it all your life. And this more always comes in at the time of fear. Mm. And fear is there as caution, but one has to learn to befriend the fear. You befriend the fear and that is your best friend. Because there's nothing to be a fear, you know, that is a very kind situation. It's just there and it takes you. Well, the inability of living life, that is the difficulty. So yoga teaches that. And then you can live in the twin world. Fantastic. <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> I've already had a conversation with Sandor, but um, I'm really relaxing to, to finish this off. I'm going to finish it now. Um, what I've also relaxed to ask this stupid last question, but people like it, and, and I'm kind of curious. What um, what do you do like for fun? Like what we, I always say, I I stopped using the term, but people kind of liked it. What is your guilty pleasure? I mean, that's a ridiculous term for you, but um, what is your kind of sensory pleasure or a, 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 a you know a silly? Do you you know do you do anything like that? Why not? You know, like uh, there's always uh, something you can do. It depends what the mood is. Right. So, you, yes, you watch TV? Of course. Uh, right now, we're watching The Crown. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> fantastic. <yeah. laughs> Very good, isn't it? <laughs> Very beautiful session last night because uh, she was asked, uh, the Queen was asked the question if she had favorite children. Right? And she couldn't give an answer, so, so she met each one of the children by themselves at the different stages. And then she, she got to know who was who. You know, sometimes it is a confronting question. We, uh, I, have, I have four children, right? So um, it's called, uh, there is always one called the unbiased favorite without having to say anything. And someone that the one of them that you gel with that doesn't mean you don't love the others, but yeah. uh, you know there is a there is there can be a situation of war there. I mean, definitely, I was no fun for my poor father, but uh, you know we had our differences, but at the same time there was great learning there, so yeah, it's fine. Um, thanks. Thanks for coming. Good on. cup of coffee is a good, uh, good way to misbehave. <laughs> thank you, Shandor, for coming on the podcast. Um, you are welcome, and thank you for uh, having me on it. It's, it's been a great pleasure to meet you as well. Thank, thank you. you.